Well, since I'm assuming that you were not in the first service, you missed the special announcement that Dustin made that he and Rochelle Bailey have decided to become husband and wife. I, I just looked a moment ago, I, w- I went out and I looked to see what was going on with, uh, with children's worship because I hadn't seen Jody yet this morning, and Dustin and Rochelle are getting uh, experience right now on what it might mean to handle children <laughs> together. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, it may be a shorter engagement than I thought it would have been. <laughs> we took a huge step in our family uh, in the last five weeks or so, an experience anyway that kind of showed us a huge step had been taken. Robin and I were totally thrilled when at Christmas time this year, our family came up, our our two sons with their children, and we heard our grandsons, which we, we have a kind of an instant new grandson because my oldest son, Adam, is adopting, and so uh, Easton is the five-year-old that is with Adam, and now there's another five-year-old that has joined them. And it looks like the adoption will be permanent as of March or so. But Blake was with them. And so Easton and Blake both took opportunities to pray when we would sit down for a meal. And it was at meal times when we really heard things as far as their prayer life. And it was amazing the advancement that had taken place since they were here last time. Or since we'd heard them pray. And it, I guess we were with them last, uh, this summer sometime. And, or this last summer I should say. And I, I'm like all of a sudden these boys were praying like, you know, it's some of the same words, but this time they acted like they knew what the words meant. And they were, like, they were praying from their hearts. It was just such a, a, a complete change, and, and we just were excited about this rapid growth. And so, I, I'm excited this morning that we have a chance to talk a little about, about the notion of discipleship, specifically in families, because although Robin and I are no longer young parents, we have little kids that we still love and we want to see nurtured in the Lord. And of course, we have a whole church family that has lots of little kids. Again, right now, Dustin and Rochelle are getting to experience that. And we want to see all of them grow in the Lord and for discipleship to take place within them. So this morning, we want to talk a little bit about discipleship in families and just the notion that we can indeed see our children grow grow to become what uh, God wants them to be. Now, it's not always perfect, and it's certainly not perfect in my family or the, and, and now the little kids that are in my son's families. One of the other experiences that we had at Christmas time that w- one of the boys, the new little one, decided there was one night when he didn't like everything that was on the table to eat. And so he made it known that he didn't, you know, he wasn't enjoying this meal very much, wasn't eating much of this food. And so his parents didn't want to have much of that. And he got a little bit cheeky about it all. And they said, well, it's time for you to go to time out. And so we heard this little child then for 30 minutes. It was this in our house. I don't want to be in time out. 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 And I would like to be able to say to you that it changed. That maybe the tone changed, the cadence changed, something changed over the next 30 minutes, but it did not change. For So for 30 minutes, we listened to that. And my point is, is that there is still room for progress within our families. Now, I'm kind of proud of his parents because they didn't give in. 
In another way, I'm really angry with them for not giving in. <laughs> but they, they didn't give in. They said, no, you know, he's, he's going to be ignored. We're not going to accept that kind of behavior. So for 30 minutes, we all ignored him. We talked around him. We walked around him. You know, the other kids, they all ignored him too. And he chanted for 30 minutes. Now, the next night, it lasted about 10. The next night, there wasn't anything. And then they went home. (laughs) And whatever happens there, I don't care. (laughs) So I'm grateful that there is a chance for things to change and for us to grow and disciple our kids. And I think we're moving in that positive direction. One of the people in our church family that has been successful at discipling children in the Lord is uh, Jim Johnson. He and his wife, Betty have been with us now for a couple of years. I knew them on the West Coast because they spent almost their entire adult lives on the West Coast. And they have three wonderful daughters who've given them grandchildren. And all of these people are now being raised in the Lord. And I wanted Jim to come this morning and to talk a little bit about what it meant for him to raise children in the Lord. Jim? If you'd recorded as the first service, Kelly, I could have just sat back and listened Last night, Kelly, as he's mentioned, asked me to uh, talk about our three daughters and where they are at their walk in faith with God at this time. Uh, how they were taught about God and Jesus and, uh, and discipled uh, was the word that Kelly used. And I don't know if these comments would qualify for any of that. Uh, but I am willing to share a little bit about our lives with you. And my biggest objection was that I get very emotional, as you can already tell. Uh, but because I have grown to love and respect Kelly and Robin, I thought this was the least that I could do for them. I attended Western Christian, and one of the teachers at that time was John Bailey. Uh, he was a great leader, teacher, uh, helped uh, us young people learn how to speak publicly. Uh, one thing I remember uh, was when you stand in front of a group of people, never tell them that you were a poor public speaker. Uh, they all figure that out fast enough themselves. <laughs> Betty and I are both, uh, both born in, in southern Saskatchewan. I own a small farm. Uh, Betty's dad was a rancher. Uh, we met in 1967. Uh, Betty worked in her hometown as a nurse in the hospital. I was working on a survey group in road construction. Uh, we got married in November of 68 and moved to BC, where we remained for 46 years. Our first 14 years in BC was in Port Alberni on Vancouver Island. Uh, our daughters were all born there in the hospital where their mother worked. We spent one year at, uh, at Houston, B.C., and uh, 31 years in Coquitlam, uh, near Vancouver in the Lower Mainland. Our three daughters and six grandchildren now all live in northwest Calgary, and that's the reason that we moved here. Our daughters and their families are all uh, strong, active members of the Bow Valley Church. Uh, Betty and I are most pleased with uh, and thankful for the spiritual growth we see in them and for the growth and the, and the teaching that our grandchildren received there. So when we moved here, uh, we had to decide where we were going to attend service, there or here. And I have some relatives here. Uh, Jack Winnie is my cousin, uh, the Pollock boys and their families, although I did not know them at that time. Uh, Gail Pollock, uh, their mother, of course, is my cousin. And Steve, their father, I roomed with him at Western when I was there. Uh, Daryl Bean and Shirley Ledbury and I were classmates at Western. Uh, David Ledbury was one of my teachers. And Shirley says he still has nightmares about that. And Betty and I were raised in homes where for love and respect and discipline for just a way of life. 
And I believe we set that uh, as an example for our daughters. Uh, because we both had jobs that required shift work, uh, our kids spent uh, many times at home uh, with only one parent. But they came through that, and uh, I guess because they realized that the times that we were at home, we spent entirely with them or with the uh, many activities that they were involved in. It's easy to talk about love and respect, but most people don't like to talk about discipline, it seems, anymore. And I guess because of the abuse that goes on in the world, I can understand that. However, I can assure you that uh, love and discipline, discipline administrated with love properly, uh, with gentleness, and with consistency will bring great results. By the time we moved to Coquitlam in 1984, our girls were 9, 11, and 13. We became very involved with the church there. And Kelly probably knew some about that church. Uh, we had outstanding people there, teachers, and in homes, and, our, and had those people in our homes uh, with as strong and faithful uh, people as I've ever known in my life. <clears throat> the girls knew that we loved them and prayed for them a lot. But as far as uh, discipled, I, I guess between the church in Coquitlam and the Church of Valley, uh, that's where they got a lot of that. So that's the years of my mother. She lived in Saskatoon, and I'd visit her, and she would... Uh, talk about the kids and was happy with them. And uh, one thing I said I could not understand was why God had blessed me so richly. Always had great health, uh, great employment, and an outstanding family. And my mother had a very unique answer to that, and I would tell you about that if you asked me, uh, but this is not the place to share it. For those of you who are raising children now, uh, young children or teenagers, uh, you have different uh, obstacles than we had. However, I believe that if kids are raised in a home where the parents love each other and the parents love their children and where respect and discipline is applied properly, as I have mentioned before, I think those children will be well equipped to go out in the world and defeat Satan wherever he encounters them. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. I appreciate you and Betty and your example and what you've done with your own kids, all of that is a wonderful blessing for sure. You can be successful at this. People can raise children in our world today in a way that allows them to be discipled for Christ. And I'm excited about that. The challenges are huge. We know that. There are things that confront young parents today that, uh, you know, even 20 years ago, they didn't confront me. Like, I certainly, as a young parent, had challenges. But um, in many ways, I think the challenges that face young parents today are even greater, which means that we have even more of a responsibility to try and be on top of our game when it comes to being parents. And I want to share just a couple of things this morning uh, along those lines. Uh, you know, we could talk about hundreds of things, really. Jim shared some things that are important in terms of what it means to be the kind of parent that God wants us to be. And we could talk about so many things. We've talked about some things in the past. Let me just mention a couple of things that I think are significant, and then I want to mention, mention one that I think is actually probably the biggest challenge that we face today in terms of raising children in the Lord. First, I, I want to remind all of you that there is a huge difference between helping our children to make the claim that they are Christians and actually being disciples. Like we've talked for months now about the notion of being a disciple, of following Jesus. 
And we've got to get this in our heads, keep this in our heads, recognize with clarity the difference between saying, I'm a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus. They are not exactly the same thing. And it's easy for me to say, I'm a Christian, I believe in who Jesus is, without necessarily being the kind of follower and disciple that Christ wants me to be. And so one of the things I think is really important is that our children recognize that we really are followers of Christ. Not just those who claim his name, but actual followers of Jesus. You know, we have a lot of programs here. We want to have great programs here. We want our kids to be excited about being here and coming to church. But the fact is that there will reach a time in their lives when the exciting programming here won't cut it. There has to be that moment in every child's life when they make the decision of no longer just having a faith that is their parents, but they have their own. They say, I really believe this. I really want to follow this. This is the person that I want to be. And that happens best, I think, when their parents make the decision to be the kind of disciples that God wants them to be. And so I would say, be a great disciple. Don't just say, I'm Christian. But be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and you give your kids such a leg up in terms of being disciples themselves. And the second thing is, this is really simple, but I really want to encourage you to pray about your children's faith. And I don't just mean give lip service to the idea that you pray for them. Don't just say, I think I, you know, I need to pray for my kids and occasionally do that. I'm talking about praying for your children's faith. Have an appointed time. Say, this is when we are going to pray about our children's faith. And so I want to use words like regularly and often and consistently and fervently and intensely. We need to pray for our children. And by the way, it's not just the parents of those children who should be praying for our kids. I'm looking at, I don't know how many people right now, 160, 150, whatever it is. We need to be praying for each other's children. Because again, our kids are faced and our families are faced with far more challenges than what I was even 20 years ago as a young parent. And they need us to pray. So please pray for them. Choose a specific time. Say, I'm going to be praying about my kids at this point or others' kids at this point and do it. You know, during the time that you brush your teeth, I don't know what you think about. But, you, you know, normally we can't just be brushing our teeth and have a blank mind. I don't know what you do in the shower when you're in terms of thinking. I hope you clean yourself up when you're in the shower. But um, if you're just thinking about something, I hope what you end up thinking about, perhaps, are the things that you could pray about during that time period. And if it's not when you're brushing your teeth or taking your shower, there's got to be some point in your day when you say, I have some time here. That's the time at which I'm going to be praying for kids. And I hope that you do. Please pray for your kids. Well, those are two things, and I realize there's hundreds, but those are two things that I think would be valuable if we were to conduct those Uh, in our families, be part of those activities, and it would bless us. But now I want to talk about just briefly what I think is the biggest challenge that our parents face today. And you probably think, well, he's going to talk about the Internet, he's going to talk about social media, he's going to talk about all the sexually explicit kinds of messages that are out there that we receive on a regular basis. And those, of course, are challenges to us. They're huge. But that's not really what's 
on my mind. What I tend to think is the biggest thing is that we often love our children wrongly. We love our children wrongly. And I don't mean that we love them too much. I don't know if it's even possible to love your kids too much. But we can love them wrongly. And here's what I mean. I want you to look at this passage. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, I'll say something about that passage in a moment, but it's a challenging one. Here's one that's not too much different. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, and that's not my word, This is just a quotation from the scriptures. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I remember reading these words with someone years ago, or maybe it was in a sermon. I don't remember all the context. Somebody who had just become a Christian. I remember them saying to me, well, I don't agree with that. Jesus is wrong on that one. God doesn't want us to hate our families. If that's what you think, I've joined the wrong church. And of course, she was in one sense exactly right. God doesn't want us to hate our families. Jesus is, in this passage, I think using hyperbole. He's exaggerating a bit to make a point. He's stating something in exaggerated terms in order to enforce something that he really does want to enforce so it's exaggeration and this can be thought of i think in another way a right way so i would say that there's no competition here between our families and our love for god that's not the point god is not trying to say i want you to love me more than them and let's have some kind of tension and competition within ourselves about all of that that surely is not his point and so i would say something else is his point and we need to think in terms like this you cannot love your children either the most you can or the best you can if the lord isn't first in your life or if you don't act like it especially when it comes to decisions regarding your families and your children's priorities. And I would say that that's what God thinks. You cannot love your children in the way that is best if you don't put the Lord first. And so I would say something like this too, that there's a trap we get into. That we think That by giving them the world, by giving them every advantage in the world, even if it means making decisions that sometimes move them in a direction away from discipleship, from our children following Christ first, that we are nonetheless helping them and loving them best. 
And I would say that in this, we make a mistake. Look at that carefully again. We think that by giving them the world, by giving them every advantage in the world, and certainly when it means making decisions that move them in a direction away from discipleship, we think that we're in the course of all of that loving our children. And it would seem as though the words of Jesus run in direct contrast to that. And that in this, we actually are making a mistake. Now, the fact is, when Jesus said what he was saying, especially the passage in Matthew, he's in a Jewish context. He wants people to not love their Jewish past, their Jewish heritage, so much that they end up not loving him the way that they should. He wants them to not love their heritage so much that they end up not being able to see that he's Messiah. But the fact is, whether it's our Jewish heritage or our Christian heritage or our earthly heritage or our family's heritage, whatever it is, if there's something that begins to stand in the way between ourselves and the Lord, it all ends up having the same impact. We all end up with our children not being loved their best by us because we think we're doing them well when really by not loving God first there's a sense in which we are not loving our children best so again let me say here the question is not whom do I love most God or my children I'm not putting you on the mountain today the way that God put Abraham on the mountain. There's no request here for somebody to sacrifice their kid to the Lord and to prove, therefore, that they love God. In fact, I would say this is true. That the fact is we must love God most. We must. God wants us to choose him. And that shouldn't even be a dilemma for us. The moment that becomes a dilemma, that's where the problem lies. And we don't love him just because he's Lord and our children are not. But we love him most because it is the only way that we can end up loving our children best. In our society, if God isn't loved by you more loved by you first, then you will end up making your children think that their own successes are more important than their discipleship. Because you will want to love them into success. And I know this. I have been a parent. I have three. I know what it feels like to try and love your kids into success. You try and give them everything, give them every opportunity, put them in a position where they can always succeed. And we try our level best at that. But there are points at which we make decisions to try and give them a leg up and help them to succeed. And it actually runs in contrast to our total devotion to God in the process. And so sometimes, tragically, while trying to love our children... It will mean that we will enable them to choose the world rather than the Lord. And that's a mistake. Because at that point, we will not be loving them best. 
and our love for them will have driven us into focusing on their worldly satisfaction first. And loving and focusing on their worldly satisfaction first is to deny from them the fact that it is only when you and they both love God first that you'll be able to love each other best. Now, you can challenge God on this one. You can think to yourself, well, I think I can negotiate both here. But Jesus says some things about trying to negotiate both. And in this case, it's not God and mammon. It's God or our children's success in this world. And God is pretty clear that just like with God and mammon, you can't serve two masters and it's not going to work. In fact, you will not love your children best if you don't love God first. We all know that sometimes loving God more than the world means that we have to deny ourselves. We accept that for ourselves. The question is, do you love your children so much that you're able to help them make the same choice? Can we help our kids to make a choice and say, I'm going to love God more and deny myself in order to love God first? If we don't, well, a mistake's being made when this question needs to be asked. Will you deny yourself the temptation of loving your children's happiness in the world more than you love God? Will you deny yourself the temptation of loving your children's happiness in the world more than you love God? And God would say, Jesus would say, please don't. Now, fortunately, in our congregation, we have parents among us who have always chosen to help their children love God first by themselves loving God first. And this includes Kevin and Patty Clark. And this morning, we have the privilege of appointing Kevin to the eldership in our church family. If I was to ask Kevin, or if I was to ask Patty, Patty, whether or not they love Jordan and Nicola more than they love the Lord, I know what the answer would be. I know they would say that they love the Lord more. In fact, they would say that because they love the Lord more, they've given their children a chance to actually be loved best by them. And to in turn... Love God first in their lives. And I'm grateful for that. And so today we have the privilege, the blessing of being able to appoint Kevin to the eldership in our congregation. And one of those reasons is because he thinks like that. And I'm grateful that he does. I'd like to have the elders, if they would, to please come up. And Kevin and Patty. This is a... A very special morning because we have the privilege of appointing um, 
a new man to our eldership uh, today. And it's special because it's, that this is one of the most important things uh, that, a, that our congregation can do, is appoint someone to the eldership. Some months ago, an um, elder selection committee was, was formed, and uh, that c- committee um, deeply considered the, the criteria uh, for an elder, reviewed the scriptures, um, congregational input was sought with that regard, and much uh, prayer went on, um, fervent prayers with regard to asking the Holy Spirit to work through us through this selection process. We also um, have determined with regard to elder appointments that, that these appointments uh, only be considered three-year terms and that um, while there's um, always the opportunity to extend service beyond those three years, it's not one of these um, ongoing open-ended uh, commitments or uh, lifelong sentences <laughs> that, uh, that uh, may be the impression or image. So um, this, this is intended to be a three-year uh, commitment um, when we make these elder appointments. And, of course, um, the um, individual uh, can always elect to continue on in that, in that um, capacity, but uh, without the expectation or obligation. Two weeks ago, um, Kevin Clark's name was put forward to the congregation uh, as, a, as a recommended, uh, as being recommended to be appointed to the eldership by the committee. And there's been an opportunity for the congregation to uh, consider that nomination and to voice any concerns um, or scriptural reasons why that appointment should not take place. Kevin and Patty are, are very well known to this congregation. Um, they, they have been um, very involved, committed servants to the Lord's work here in this congregation for about 40 years. And in fact, uh, Kevin has actually previously served as an elder um, for about nine years, I believe, back uh, in the 1990s. I can't um, think of a better person that we could... Uh, have before us right now to consider um, putting forward uh, and appointing to our eldership today. First Timothy 3.1 states, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. We often focus on the significant responsibility that comes as an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ or we focus on the necessary qualifications of those selected by the church and by the Holy Spirit to serve in the church as shepherds, or we focus on the special duties, tasks, and roles the elder is to carry out. These aspects of the office, of this office in the church are extremely important. Often, we don't focus as much on what, call, on what Paul calls the nobility of the task. Even though this role, even though with this role, there is certain, a certain sense of nobility and honor to it. The elders who direct the, well the affairs of the church 
are, according to Paul, worthy of double honor. What is interesting in the way in which this nobility or honor is grounded, what is interesting, what is, interesting is that the way this um, nobility is grounded is not inherent in the status of the role of the shepherd, but in fact in the acts of service performed by the shepherd on behalf of the church. Those who serve well, who speak and teach the word of God, who watch over the flock, who are eager, eager to serve, who are examples of loving service to the Lord and to the church, and those who are worthy of honor, are those, sorry, who are worthy of honor. The nobility of your role, then, Kevin, the honor, if you will, will be established not by the office to which you have been appointed, but by the way you serve in that role. And it is our prayer as elders, as a church, that today we are appointing one as an elder who will always receive honor in the church based slowly on the depth, the quality, and the value of your service. Okay, when the church has found you to be one who, as Peter says in First Peter 5, verse 2, eager to serve, and this is encouraging. We need servants we need servant leaders in our church, and we need more who are eager to take on this role. Your service to this body during the last 40 years or so has greatly blessed us. So this is a day not just for the appointment of an elder, but a day in which our church is being blessed and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We are encouraged, too, that during all your years of service to the church, that Patty has also served alongside you. And our prayers today for you, our prayers also for Patty, her gentle, serving spirit is a fitting example, not, in, not only to the young ladies of our congregation, and, but also to the old and young and every member of our body. We pray that your appointment today to the role of Elder Kevin will also be a great blessing to Patty uh, and to her walk with Christ. Kevin, because of your relationship with God, with his Son, and with the Spirit, and because of your faith, because of your life fits with the biblical description of what an overseer should be, and because of your knowledge of God's Word and your submission to it, the Church and the Holy Spirit call you today to serve as an elder in the Calvary Church of Christ. And we hereby appoint you to that role. Our hope is that your gift of service will greatly benefit our congregation, and we are commit ourselves as a church body to work with you as we strive to expand the borders of God's kingdom in this place. So, Kevin, congratulations to you. We are thankful you, with the support of Patty, have allowed to serve our church in this way. Praise, praise to God. We're just going to have uh, prayers at this time by each of our elders.
Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your wonderful mercies. We thank you for, with our surrender, that, uh, that we have a hope of eternity with you, a tremendous hope, Lord, and thank you for your Son, Jesus. Lord, as we reflect on uh, the, the opportunity that we've had to uh, welcome uh, Kevin into our eldership, we, uh, I'm thoughtful of things that are the matters of the heart. Heavenly Father, we just ask and, and are grateful that how, heaven, or how uh, Kevin has reflected that through his life, the true heart of a servant. And we also pray that he would be reflecting the, a heart that is flooded with hope, a heart that is shaped by holiness of God, and a heart for the lost and the hurting. The role is not without its challenges. So, Lord, we just ask that as we go through this together as a, as a group of elders, that, uh, that we would always be uh, counseling with each other, that we would offer assistance to each other, and that we would all grow together as we go through the, uh, the process of encouraging and spending time with families who are in trouble and families and individuals who are hurting. Lord, we just we pray that all of us as elders would be shepherds who truly love our sheep. We know, Lord, that with uh, the blessings that come from this are going to be a joy that can only come from you, and we're thankful for that. So as we leave here today, um, each one of us, uh, we just pray that uh, for, for all of the eldership and their families uh, that this would be a good thing. We know, Lord, it's good for us, and we know, Lord, that it's good for our congregation, our sheep. We're thankful for blessing us this way. We pray through your, the name of your Son. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us today to rejoice. For Kevin and Patty whom you've called to the office of leadership. Uh, I'm so delighted to work with my friend whom I've known for 30 years and to share the knowledge he has in it. He has been an elder before to work with him. I pray that, Father, you will give him the wisdom and the passion to diligently do the job you call him to do. To be close to your flock. To perform his duty not as he he wants, but as you want him to do it. Why Kevin will join us, I pray for, for your strength that neither anger nor any other bitterness can defeat 
your kingdom within us. And you will close all of us with the humility of your son to make us to be good listener, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I pray, Father, that uh, Patty and my wife, Rachel, will be as close as I am with Kevin, and uh, Patty will be close to other women, not only my wife as well. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Our Father in heaven, Father, you know that this congregation, this church, is your church. And Father, help us to always keep that in mind as we lead, that this, uh, that this is service to you. Father, we know that you have great plans for your church here. And we're excited to find out uh, the plans that you have for us in the future. And Father, we know that um, bringing Kevin into the eldership here is a work enabled by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we, um, we ask for your, uh, your blessing in this. Father, we, we, we ask that you will give Kevin the, the wisdom, the courage, the humility, the faith, hope, and love to serve in this way in the best way possible. Father, we pray that uh, Kevin and Patty, when they look at the congregation here, will be consumed by the same kind of compassion for your people that Jesus had when he looked out over the people. Father, we, we pray that you will give them a consuming, ever-increasing love for your people and an even greater love, always increasing for you. Help them to love you first so that they can love this congregation best. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Go in peace.